0: We're so thankful that we can call Thee, Father, that Thou art the one that does care for us, the one that has formed us, made us, has given us life. Dear Father, we look to Thee now as the one that can provide all that we need for the rest of our lives, even for this moment as we would learn more of Thee and look into Thy Word. Dear Father, we desire the Spirit of Thy Son, the Spirit that was in Thy Son, the Spirit that was, that is in Thy Son. and was motivating him every moment that he was here below, looking to thee as the perfect father. Dear God, we uh, trust that thou wilt provide what we need in this hour, that all our individual needs which are known perfectly to thee will be met by thy spirit. We pray these things in the confidence of Jesus, knowing what thou hast already given us uh, in him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So we'd like to welcome you to our our forum on fathers and sons and the spirit of Elijah, and we're going to explain that a little bit. Um, so the outline of the of the, of the the forum is I'm going to provide an introduction to this topic and give you some motivation why it's important uh, to us and talk a little bit about the spirit of Elijah, what the Bible has to say about fathers and sons and the gospel. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about understanding the father-son relationship, and this is something that's important for every man to understand, uh, how he was influenced by his father. And it's also very important for fathers to understand as they shape the lives of their sons. Um, and then in the second part of the forum, uh, my father is going to talk about being a godly father and uh, the decisions you need to make every day with your children. And then at the end, we'll leave some time for questions and answers. OK. So. Uh, first statement, I guess, we can make is that many societal problems can be traced to the breakdown of the father-son relationship. And I think that statement is uh, is fairly unobjectionable. I don't think too many people would disagree with that. Uh, World leaders agree with that. They've identified that as a problem. Let me read you some statistics here. Children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. That was taken from a speech, I think, that the U.S. President made. Um, so it's something that's understood, um, at least by, by certain people. But what about problems in the church? Would you agree that some or maybe most of our struggles as a church are related to a failure to understand and practice biblical father-son relationships? That's a, that's a fairly contentious statement, I guess. But consider, how spiritually mature are the young men in our church today? Which attribute would you say is more prevalent? Service or self-indulgence? Uh, interdependence or individualism? How engaged are the fathers in, in raising their sons? And why do so many young men drift away from the church? Lastly, let's bring it on to you personally, are there problems that you struggle with that may be related to your relationship with your father? Um, and how would you know this to be the case? Uh, there are certain things that we struggle with, with spiritual maturity, with, with uh, uh, serving others, that we may have inherited from our fathers. Well, the good news, God's good news about sin is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is being proclaimed. There is a solution for sin. And even with this breakdown of the father-son relationship, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. And it's actually intimately connected to the father-son relationship. The preparation for the gospel begins with the father-son relationship. Consider the uh, prophecy that closes the end of the Old Testament. Malachi 4 Uh, Verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 400 years later, the angel Gabriel appeared to the priest Zacharias in the temple, and he repeated these words. He he, uh, referenced them, but he changed them and amplified them. Let's read it. And he's referring here to Zacharias's son, the son that he would have, John the Baptist. And he, that is John the Baptist, shall go before him, that is Christ, in the spirit and power of Elias, that's uh, the Greek form of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it is our central thesis or... or uh, um, what we're proposing in this form is that the father-son relationship is the preparation for the gospel. And that's how God has designed it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the spirit of Elijah. The spirit and power of Elijah is none other than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was motivating Elijah and gave him the power to, to do what he did. Um, and Let's note that the the Holy Spirit does what the law could not do. That reference in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It starts out with, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So he says, remember the law. And then he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Almost as if the law wasn't enough. The law will not be able to do this. I have to send the spirit of Elijah. I have to send the Holy Spirit to prepare you for the coming of the just one and this promise the promise of the Holy Spirit is God's provision for raising a godly seed is for the, the blessings to the third and the fourth generation it is the Holy Spirit that will enable this to happen that promise is in him okay so that is the out, uh, the introduction I'm going to talk a bit about understanding the father-son relationship and then I'll turn it over to my father uh, and I should say, before we, uh, before we proceed, with these, these two topics here, we're going to ask a series of questions and then attempt to answer them. We thought that was the best way to approach the topic. So hopefully these questions, think about them, let them resonate with you a little bit before we consider the answers. So the first uh, couple questions we'd like to ask is, how and where was your identity shaped? And where did you learn to become a man? You understand what I mean by identity, right? Who you think you are, what your concept of yourself. And to answer those two questions, I'd like to um, state two identity principles. The first one is that a son primarily gets his identity from his father. Now, when I say this, I, I don't mean that that sons are carbon copies of their fathers. Um, anyone who knows me and knows my father knows we're different. but. My sense of who I am, where I come from, even how I view the world is firmly rooted in my Father, in in what he's taught me and how he's shaped me. I'm a different person. I understand that. I think at this point in my life, I'm at peace with that. But fundamentally, who I am and and how I think of myself was shaped and is, in a way, continually shaped by my Father. Uh, We can see this principle at work in the world and in the Bible. we can see it in something as simple as family names. You, know, you inherit the, the name of your father. I'm known as Eric Denzinger. I'm from the Denzinger family. Eckhart Denzinger is my father. Uh, historically, vocations were passed from father to son. For most of history, uh, a son would do what his father did. It's only in more modern times that that has changed. In biblical times, this concept or this principle was even more prevalent. Uh, the names of people, Bartimaeus, if anyone remembers who Bartimaeus was from the New Testament, literally means son of Timaeus. Anyone remember what he called out to Jesus? This is the blind man on the on the road, uh, side of the road. Yeah, he said, "Jesus, thou Son of David." His identity: Simon Bar Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. There's always this kind of tag. Most importantly, this principle is illustrated in God and Christ, who are the perfect Father and Son. Let's consider. Some scripture from Matthew 16, uh, verses 15 to 17. Uh, Christ is asking his disciples about his his identity. Who do men say that I am? Who am I? And he says, some say that you're Elias, some say Jeremiah, so on and so forth. Um, He he says, but whom say ye that that I am? And Simon Peter answers and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. If I could paraphrase a little bit, Simon says, oh, I know who you are. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, I know who you are too. You are Simon, the son of Jonas." So there is a, a, an identity thing that is closely related to the Father. Here's another passage where this is illustrated. In John 8, the dialogue between Jesus and the Jews. Uh, when it, it illustrates this link between sonship and identity. They say unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, he neither know me nor my father. If he had known me, ye should have known my father also. Clearly, identity. His identity is linked to his father's. And then he proceeds to tell them what their identity is. He tells them, your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil because you do the works of your father, the devil, and you are identified with him because of what you do. The second identity principle. Whomever or whatever we draw our identity from has the power to shape and control our lives. Again, we can see this at work in the world and in the Bible. A simple example is when a young man wants to join a gang, he begins to walk and talk and dress and act like the rest of the gang, and in turn, he's identified with the gang. They have the power to shape and control his life, and he wants to be identified with them. Same thing when a young man is interested in a girl, and he wants to be identified with her. He gives her the power to shape and control his life. He will start to do things that please her and, and uh, that are kind of aligned with, with her interests. You can see this in the Jewish custom of the bar mitzvah, which literally means the son of the law. So a Jew, Jewish male at the age of 12, he is uh, formally... I guess, becomes a son of the law, directly responsible to the law, which now has the power to control and shape his life directly. It's no longer just his, his parents. Um, and lastly, most perfectly, this principle is illustrated in Jesus Christ's union and identity with his father as the source of his power. And that is clearly, again, illustrated in John 8, where he does those things that please his father. I won't refer to that anymore. So... To answer these questions that we ask. Because God has given fathers the power and the responsibility to shape the lives of their children. Unequivocally, he's given you that power by uh, these with through these young lives. The answers to the question, how and where was your identity shaped? Where did you learn how to become a man? Start with the father-son relationship. And I'd like to underline start because you continue to be Influenced, your identity continues to be shaped by other influences throughout your life. That, that's the process of life. And hopefully we hope that ultimately is shaped directly by God. And here's one kind of truth that falls out of these principles. To know and to understand a man, get to know him as the son of his father. And I had to think about this a little bit, but it's very true. When you start to think about someone in the light of who their father is, It gives you a more complete understanding of where they came from, who they are, why they maybe do certain things that they do. If you can understand, uh, if you can know who their father was, it gives you a clearer picture. This is true for your own father, too. You know, you always think of him as your father. Well, why don't you start to think of him as the son of his father and see how he was shaped by his father? And that maybe, if there's some issues of unforgiveness or things that he's done to you, will help you to forgive him, too. The next question I'm going to attempt to answer is, how does your relationship with your father affect your relationship with God? So we've already seen in the previous uh, question that fathers are identity shapers. They impart uh, an identity to their sons. But uh, fathers also shape our understanding and concept of God. Uh, This will be further developed by my father later on, but suffice it to say that how someone, how a child will begin to view God, will, whether he will view him as loving or vindictive, trustworthy or capricious, caring or distant, will depend. Will be strongly influenced by how his father has modeled God to him. That changes with time, and and God is able to heal wounds and and to restore hearts. But very often, uh, I, I I know some brothers uh, who shared uh, personal things with me too that how their fathers. Uh, uh, How their fathers acted to them and how they raised them really um, sometimes challenged them to trust God fully, for instance. Uh, The the second point is that honoring and obeying our earthly fathers prepares us for a relationship with God. I can state, I think, fairly unreservedly that if you struggle with honoring and obeying your earthly father, it will be difficult, much more difficult for you to do the same with God. Um, I don't know if I'll say more on that. Uh, one another thing I'd like to note about this is that the father-son relationship from it may be seen to be fairly one-sided. You know, all the responsibility is with the father, and he has to do this and this and this. But honoring and obeying is solely the son's responsibility. And this relationship will not work if you do not do those things. You will not inherit the blessings that that your father intends to, or and God intends to bestow upon you. And your responsibility to honor and obey does not depend on whether you think your father's right or whether he deserves it. Um, it's, it's pretty clear from God's uh, teaching on authority that that's very true, and there's blessings that result from that. Oops, I missed the last point there. Um, about being called out. Being called out by our fathers prepares us for God's calling, and this concept of being called out, maybe it's a little foreign in our, co- in our culture today. But it simply refers to the idea that a father should call his son out to a higher purpose than himself. There comes a certain time when a son reaches a certain age. He has to be called out from the the nurture and the care of his mother to become a man, to start to learn how to become a man, to depend on God, to do difficult things, to be challenged. And uh, in today's culture, we do not do that. It's it's very rare that, that that happens. It's interesting. You think a lot of traditional cultures rights of manhood, uh, things like that, they, were, they understood that concept in the sense of to become a man, there had to be a certain time when you were, there was a demarcation line between the nurture and love of mother and the, the calling out of the father. And we seem to have lost that in today's culture. Um, Consider that the example of Jesus. Jesus was called out to do his father's business at the age of 12. He says, must you, uh, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? He was baptized, meaning sealed with his father's identity. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he was sent out into the wilderness to be tempted and to learn. He said he learned obedience to learn to deny himself. And that is the model that uh, that needs to be pursued in the father-son relationship. Just uh, as a final, let's consider what happens if sons aren't given a clear identity by their fathers. Well, they won't be sealed. If you think of the term sealed, sealing means both a mark of identica- identification, you seal a document, and it's also a means of preventing contamination. You, know, you seal a bottle, it's, nothing can get in or out. If a son isn't sealed, isn't given that mark of identity by his father, the influences of the world can come in, they can have their place. It's very easy for things to go out. All the good things you put out in the, you put in him in the morning, by the afternoon they can be gone out. So if, if, if he's not sealed with his identity, given a firm sense of where he comes from and that assurance, um, other things can easily influence him. What happens if sons aren't called out by their fathers? Well, they will miss God's calling because God definitely calls us out to be separated from this world, to be a peculiar people, to be uh, devoted to his purpose. And they'll miss that. And they'll think that life is about being happy and comfortable. It's about them. It's about receiving nurture and love from their moms. And they won't realize that there's a higher purpose I need to be called out to. Okay, that concludes my part there. Yeah.
1: I am here because both of my sons asked me to do this. I feel honored, but at the same time humbled to speak on such a weighty topic, in spite of the many mistakes that I did make. They have asked me. First question that I have What is it to be a father? In the limited time that we have here, I only like to touch on some points that I felt are particularly relevant. It is much easier to become a father than to be a father to understand that. Before we can become godly fathers, we must seek to become godly men. There is no shortcut. You can't get around that. It's true. The guys who fear to become fathers don't understand that fathering is not something perfect men do but something that perfects men. The new fathers that I have asked, they agree that becoming a father opens a new dimension to their spiritual walk. God considers the role of parents so important that he included it right away in the Ten Commandments. Notice it says, God, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It says honor. Now when you become a father, you are giving this little child. Between that point in time and the time when they actually are going to honor you, much has to transpire. Who's going to teach them? That's your responsibility. God relies especially on the father-son relationship and that right early on, to pass on the teaching of his will. Deuteronomy, we read, and that's right before this passage that's often quoted, thou shalt teach thy children when you get up, when you lay down, when you walk by the way, when you're in the house, you shall teach your children. But at the beginning of that chapter, it says, (coughs) Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land whither thou go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that the days may be prolonged. We see here that the teaching goes on from father to son and to grandchildren. Now we are grandparents. My other son is not here, but we still have a role to play to pass on what God's will is. Fatherhood is a privilege given by God. And with that privilege comes the power to impact life. There are two ways to recognize power. One is to see it at work. The other way is to measure what happens when it is gone. Do you realize what impact you have upon this little fellow that looks at you with those innocent eyes and takes everything you say as gospel truth? That's serious. You are writing, you are engraving on a blank slate. He accepts those things, believes them as truth. So we need to be careful not to confuse them with make-believe things such as Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, or other gimmicks. Life is way more interesting, real life. Now to think of it, when God created man in his image, and established a relationship, he could have had any role he wanted. But he chose to be the Heavenly Father. That's the role he chose. God ultimately was the Father that is the perfect example. And it's your children, it's your responsibility to turn the heart of your children to you in order to prepare them so that they may turn their hearts to the Father in heaven. And so it is. Children get their first notion about who God is from their fathers. Is it not interesting that when Jacob was fleeing Esau, and he went to that place where he fell asleep, and God revealed himself as I am the fa- I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. And then later on at the burning bush God again says to Moses, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God identifies himself as the God of the fathers. We fathers are giving the role more than anyone else to make God the identity of God relevant to our children. As mentioned in the introduction by Eric, masculine leadership has been ridiculed in our times. And yet God commands men to be leaders of the families. And he gives them the authority to do so. I have read that number one complaint of Christian women is their husband's apathy, spiritual apathy. Is that also true in our denomination? Think of it. When there is a waiting to give a prayer, when there's a hesitant to do work to be done, when it's a handoff, I stay in my comfort zone. What was lucky? Fathers, you are the de facto leaders of your family, whether you like it or not. Let us clear some of the confusion about authority. The world has really confused that issue. There are three principles relative to authority which are vitally important to the family life as God has intended it. First, the primary responsibility for provision of authority in the home has been assigned to men. In Timothy, we read some qualifications regarding a bishop, but it applies as well to every Christian home. It's one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? A father must have the proper authority in his own household and be able to control and command respect from his children. If your Christianity doesn't work at home, it will not work anywhere else. Don't export it. Point number two, principle number two. Children naturally look to their fathers for authority. Not that a father must handle every act of disobedience, but he should serve as a frame on which parental authority is constructed. Principle number three, authority will be contested. You can be sure of that. Deeply ingrained in the human temperament is a self-will that resists external authority. The spirit of rebellion manifests itself in the first year of life already and dominates in the second one, the terrible twos. Appropriate response of a father to a child's defiance is neither harsh, nor insulting, nor dangerous, nor whimsical. Rather, it represents the firm but loving discipline that is required for the best interest of the child. Now, everything that you believe and profess about life, your worldview, is sooner or later going to be tested at the kitchen table or in the family room, where young people are quick to make applications, decisions, on the basis of their parents' philosophy. to sum it up the question, what is to be a father? A father is someone striving to be a godly man whose heart is turned to his son and who, with God's help, guides and encourages his son to become a godly man as well. Next question. What should I be doing to shape a godly character in my son? Spend time together. This creates experiences and memories and that enrich your relationship with your son. Lack of time together is perhaps the complaint number one of many children. Do you remember the song? I heard it years ago. Recently I heard it again on the radio. Cats and the Cradle, where it's a dialogue between father and son and, and where they were going to do things, but no time now. And we're going to do it, but no time now. And the son is all excited. I'll be just like you. He admires his dad. Years go by. The son grows up, has his own family. His dad wants now to get together with him. And he hears the same words. No time now. It was nice talking to you, but no time now. He just became like his dad. You have to be there for your children. No one else will do. In a survey of middle-class income fathers, they were asked, how much time they spend with their one-year toddlers? And most guessed, on the average, 15 to 20 minutes. Well, the actual time, which was determined by attaching microphones to the shirts of those youngsters, it was less than a minute a day. And that's against about 30 hours of TV exposure. That's how far we are gone. Absent or disconnected fathers can create in boy, and especially in sensitive boys, we are all, all the same. Some are more sensitive than others. Can cause anger and pain, suppressed rage, extreme behavior, addiction, obsessions, a sense of lostness, lack of direction, even homosexual tendencies. Sensitive boys are especially wounded deeply by a break with their father. Give directions to your son with solid why answers at the appropriate time. If he has a concern, it should be important to you. You are the one that should answer it. And if you don't know, say so. Something's missing here. Okay. Model your convictions. What do you really believe? What do we believe as a family when it comes to decisions that the family makes? Do we decide each Sunday afternoon whether we are going to go to church, or is it going to be an accepted fact that we don't have to decide, we just go? Somebody said, values are not taught to children. They are caught by them. Pray for them. This knowledge comes when you know that you're praying for them and for their sexual purity and for the purity of their future spouses, this knowledge becomes a safe handrail on the steps from immaturity adulthood. It also provides for a form of accountability more powerful than just mere parental authority. Affirm your son. When Jesus was baptized (coughs) the heavens opened and the Father said from heaven This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A father who affirms his children gives them the gift of confidence and self-esteem throughout life. It is part of the power that God gives to men to either lift them up or destroy them. In Proverbs 18, 21, we read, dead and life are in the power of the tongue. It's so important what you say as a father. Some are especially sensitive to this and need encouragement; otherwise, it's going to affect them their whole life. Now, here's a biggie, which is much lacking in our time: teachers on discipline. In Proverbs 22:6, we read, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Discipline comes in two forms, uh, internal and external discipline. Internal discipline, that is self-discipline, is what we strive to teach our sons by by applying external discipline. More specifically, self-discipline, you don't want to, but you're going to do it because it's right. Self-discipline. Self-control, you would like to, but you will not do it because it's not right. Typically, a man that lacks self-discipline in one area also will lack self-control in other areas. If we don't discipline our sons, we are not preparing them for fulfilling life. Discipline and accountability must be age appropriate. Small children, say up to five years, have tight boundaries and limited freedom. They must learn to obey with little explanation. They are asked simple tasks around the house, and the emphasis is on obedience. Ages 6 to 12, are more able to understand the why explanations. And they do need them, because now they're going to be exposed to outside influences, and they need to learn to practice to make decisions. Teens should be given appropriate, more difficult tasks. If proper training has taken place up to this point, by the time they become teenagers, they have a family identity. They know who they are. They know where they belong. And they will be not they will be able to resist peer pressure to make unwise choices. And the commandment to honor their parents becomes more meaningful. Teach them consequences. Oops. Being consistent is one of the strongest traits that a father can bring to his fathering. A father's job is to teach his son the fact that sometimes there are unpleasant consequences to unwise choices. Hold them to what was agreed. They may not like it at the time, but they sure will learn to respect you as a man of your word. By never letting our son suffer through tough times, We rob them of the joy and rewards of developing a strong character. People can say anything they want about their values, but when the pressure is on, they discover truly what their values are. That is why resisting the urge to rescue always our sons is important, not to rescue them all the time. In summary, to shape a godly character in your son, follow the spirit of Elias. And he shall go before him in the spirit of power of Elias to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here is a controversial question. Is it possible for fathers to love and revere God while systematically losing their children? That's a tough question. Consider the Bible. Consider Elias and his Eli and his son. God held them to it. He did not restrain his sons, and they were evil. God held him to it and destroyed him both in one day. But even Samuel, a man of God who served the Lord many, many years, and when he asked the people when they wanted a king and said, you know, is there anything that I have done wrong? They could not say anything. They said, no, no, they had nothing against him. But yet they said, but we don't want your sons to be judging be our judges, because they don't follow your ways. Something was lacking. Now, if you take a strong view, you would say, well, if God would not honor Samuel's dedication by guaranteeing the salvation of his children, will he do more for you if you are too busy to do your homework with your children? I should clarify. I don't believe that you can convert your children, but you can go a long way by bringing them up according to the principles of the word of God. There's a great advantage to them. What do I do regarding past mistakes I made with my son? And they were mistakes. You may not have seen them, but we know them. Everyone makes mistakes. I made mistakes. Some mistakes dads make are emphasizing weaknesses, not strength. If we dwell on their weaknesses, rather to help them, encourage them to overcome them, it affects them negatively. Avoiding physical affection. And according to the teaching of the Bible, that could mean a strong hand at times. Now, some things are better conveyed by touch at times. Or a hug. I still enjoy daily hugs from this fella. He's at home still. And from the other Unwini There seems to be m- even much more of that kind nowadays that are older. Giving too little time or attention to your son. And we spoke about that already. Abdicating leadership to your wife or another figure. That's a sad one. When the wife wears the pants in the family, it causes confusion. It will affect the development of those sons which should become leader of their families in turn. Pushing for performance gives the notion to, the, to your son that he, you love him and you accept him when he performs. And that should not be that way. Forgetting to have fun. You know, life has its humorous moments, and if we share them, it enriches our relationship. Oh, we used to ask when they were small, they used to love for dad to read the cartoons with them. They just would come up and sit beside, want to read. They could read it themselves by that time already, but they wanted dad to do that, and dad laughed too. And some of the things that we read, we still find funny. Abusing your power, that's a big one that often destroys father-son relationships. Anger has a place, but it is rare. Commonplace angry display of temper are more often than not actually a substitute for lack of leadership skills on part of an insecure leader. Neglecting your own need for friendship. We're talking here about the father. You children must see you interact with others, with other dads, with other men. They must see what it is to model men, relationship between men. It gives them more secure, uh, security when they want to relate to others. Being complacent and passive, don't need to see much of that. Now, one big mistake some of today's fathers make is allowing their children to be disrespectful to them. Now, it's easy for other people to see that. But sometimes we don't realize it. But we need to ask ourselves and stop ourselves and say, are they being respectful? Are they being disrespectful? God wants fathers to have the respect. And if you don't use our authority to encourage that, if you let them walk over us, we are in that. There may be more things, but these are the ones that I did pick. Now, the biblical way of dealing with mistakes, and they are sins, is to repent and ask forgiveness from those we have sinned against. This will help your sons to know that you also are accountable to a higher authority and that you yourself need forgiveness. In a way, this is turning your heart to your side. We're coming to the end now. Can my own past affect the relationship I have with my son? The answer is yes or definitely even, but grace is available. Even if you had a bad relationship with your dad, it's possible to take care of it. No man can live a life of great impact or even a life of true fulfillment without coming to terms with with and understand his own history. In order to be effective fathers, we must reconcile our relationship with the men and women who raised us or we are doomed to repeat the same mistakes with our children. And you can see that happening again and again. Offering forgiveness allows us an opportunity to honor our parents, even under the most difficult circumstances. No one wants to be a bad father. If forgiveness and loving your enemies is the Christian way to deal with hurts, why should this not apply also to our parents? You cannot ignore this if you want God to bless your father-son relationship. That's all I got. We now are open to comments and, and questions, and we try to answer them if we can.
2: much appreciate uh, you know what you've said, and the things that you've shared. Uh, much of it, you know, I see some of the good and the mistakes in my own uh, behavior. One of the things that impressed me very uh, from the first was the father-son relationship with uh, Jesus and His Father. And um, any comment on, I mean, when we talk about the the triune God—Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The analogy breaks down there somewhat, does it not, in the sense that Jesus is the Son of God, but also God himself. And it it doesn't quite transfer directly right over. Any thoughts or comments on that?
0: Um, Maybe in that context, I think of it as uh, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son. He was that thing, the person in Jesus that was making, that was turning his heart towards his father. So the Holy Spirit was in between the father and the son.
1: But yet, God did choose the name of Father. You know, we are fathers here and now for a short time. But in eternity, he's going to be father. So I think it was not just coincidence that he would choose that but that he has a purpose in it. And that he wants to teach us a lot about his relationship through us obeying what the Bible teaches. When you become father, I think somehow it becomes more relevant, but it means God the father. Many young fathers have asked if they agree with that. Rabbi?
3: I really appreciated this. Lot and I was really an absentee father a lot of the time and absent in the Lord's business not in this world's uh, pursuits and I remember once going down uh, on my desk which was in, in the basement and I had a big calendar that I could write some appointments in and I would sometimes go down and my wife's name would be in one of those blocks. I think it's extremely important that our relationship between mother and father also is such that children can see that there, there, there is unity among them even though some of us as fathers will have very limited relationships with our children. And I remember when our children became older and they joined the, the the married group, as as it were. One thing that really impacted me was there was uh, the children. Were, now these are grown converted children. Asked about, uh, you know, what what do you remember about your childhood? And ninety percent of what they remembered linked to their mother, and not to me. And I, I ju- I just I just think that's so critical that the children can see that mother and father are a unit in everything, even though one is is really counterbalancing a big part of this load.
1: My own father was away five years in Russia. Mother had to feel in for him. But when dad came back, he was the authority in the family. And my mother, I can truly say, honored him. And I remember what your brother said at one of the camps. The best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How did you find a balance between church obligations and doing things with your sons, such as camping? I know that you would like to do that with them.
3: Well,
1: I have a very energetic wife.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and the children pitch in, especially that in between age, uh, before they become teenager, or early teenager, they were very helpful around the house. We got things done. You didn't have to stay home Saturday just because a lot of homework uh, had to be done around the house. And church always was a priority always. We never had a problem trying to to force or, or, or having to encourage our children to go to church as often as the church was open. And they're doing the same thing. My other son is doing the same thing now with his children. They are church babies.
2: One of the criticisms that my son gave to me was that I spent sometimes more time, like Bob. Know, with counseling and so forth and it mm-hmm. seemed like they had second choice and I, I, I don't know how to See, even reconcile that in my own past yet
1: when it comes to church duties there are others which also to in. but your children you are the father you cannot shortchange them there I have read of, of men, faithful men that have regretted having neglected
2: I was going to say that one way to deal with that is to literally schedule time that you're going to do things whether it's camping or other activities and and put those on a a family calendar or whatever and hold that. We have the benefit in our churches of having more than one quote pastor or minister and to share that responsibility. We're not all going to be camping the same weekend when somebody needs help and I think that a brother needs to make, uh, people need to be, we need to be reasonable about putting demands on, on brothers who we would expect them to drop whatever they're doing at a moment's notice because I'm having some problem or whatever the issue may be. The problem will still probably be there a little bit later on. Sometimes it isn't an emergency.
1: We are really for camping. Two weeks ago, my son asked me to go camping with him. <laughs> the rough yeah. hard work. Yeah. And <clears throat> I read once somebody uh, somebody was involved in family counseling. He went to a big conference, Christian conference, and he tried to watch the people and said, oh, this family seems to have it together, this one too. He tried to find out what was it? And he found out the common thing they had, they can't. <laughs> 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 now he said this is not Necessarily so, but, but what is true always <coughs> is that the family does things together. And camping is a really good activity to define the family. You get out there, dad does the fire and does the rough work, mom does this, children get involved, it really creates a family identity. And we used to camp years after Eastern camp, we used to go on with the van and go camping in those nice parks that you have. Uh, my children picked up camping but they camp when they're babies and they want to do it. And okay, let's see. Chris, I think had his hand before. You mentioned about,
5: about children not allowing them to be disrespectful and affection, something affection, <coughs> you know, also including you raised your hands did you, I don't think he used the spanking word. Yes, but, yes, uh, I meant it. it. it <coughs> did you see, I don't know the Bible anyway,
1: says that. Yeah. Oh
5: no, I each No, I, that's actually not my question. The, um, that's another issue. But uh, the teenagers, for example, I, I think we're beyond that. They we're beyond spanking. Okay. Oh, yeah. What? What? Um, what? Um, what would you call it? Punishment or a, a consequences? Or are talking about? What would you consider grounding? Or what, what are the results of disrespect?
1: Maybe other parents are more experienced in that. Our boys were good boys. <laughs> 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 but still, but still, we didn't say that they were good boys <laughs> when they gave <coughs> <did> their <coughs> testimony for the church. No. Yes, they did disobey at times. But we never had really any serious problems. I think the key is in the early years the teaching of obedience. That's what falls down. I see it in the churches. There is a meal in church, and on comes mom with the little fella on, what do you want to eat? Do you want this? Do you want that? Uh, no, no, I want this. And then he takes it there, and then he doesn't want it anyway, He gets thrown out. You have tight boundaries. You tell them what they should eat, what is good for them. You tell them when they should eat and when they should sleep. They should conform. Not much choice. Obedience. Later on, you start explaining. I see that's a big failure nowadays already with the little children, and if the job is done with the little children, I doubt you will have great problems once they grow. On.
0: I, I think as a teenager, one thing that really checked me from disrespecting my parents was if I know that it, that would hurt them and that, that exactly. they disapproved of it, and this was really against them. They never, I think, as a teenager, they didn't come out and say, "You can't do this," or "You can't do that." By that point, I knew kind of what they thought, and it was hard for me to go against that. Sometimes I still did in my heart, but, but well,
5: let me just say that you didn't answer my. Okay. because I let's, assume, uh, let's assume someone has really messed up okay so for the first 12 years of the child's life they've really messed up and now they're, they're they're in a situation where they've got teenagers that are disobedient unruly what are what what are you suggesting now i know you're you can't speak from experience but what well, if what would you do
1: well it, it's about past mistakes repenting confess admit and get them to hold you accountable for when you again make a mistake. I cannot speak from experience here, but this is what seems to me to
0: be the but, but we even did have some time when you we were preparing this forum where we did talk about, about parenting and, and mm. mistakes that you had made and things that we struggled with. It. And maybe we're at a more mature stage to do that now, but to be really open that way, I. Impressed me a lot about
1: my father. Well, you want to comment on that question,
3: I, I'd like to comment on, on Chris's, because we really didn't answer it. Mm-hmm. And thank God, I never made that experience, where where uh, children my children converted when they were young. But the fact is, I think <coughs> at that point in time, where we have to go to what you talked about up there, is you know, actions have consequences. And that's when a really tough love has to stand up and say, you know, son, you're going to stay in jail tonight. You're not coming home. I'm not. I'm not going to get you. And I, I've i known parents that had to do that, where they really had to ha- had to transfer the responsibility mm-hmm. for that those actions to those who did it.
1: Those that are from kitchen, if I remember, some that converted. What their complaint was that their f- parents always rescued them out of trouble, and they got deeper and deeper into it, and now they see it that that didn't help one bit. Sorry, I think uh, you had to hand yeah. up to really. I, I was
6: just going to say, you know, I think I think in all of this, which I think it's all, uh, you know, dead on and, and completely accurate, but I think we can't underestimate the effect of the Holy Spirit in the life of the son. In this situation, you know, Uncle Johnny talked about you know how how he felt, and Opa talked too about how they both felt like they spent too much time going about the Lord's business and not enough time with their children. And while perhaps they may have allowed themselves to be overburdened, I think that that we're placing a little bit too much responsibility on, for the end results on the fathers. The son, we as the sons, are responsible for making the choices that will lead us to our final. You know, our, our final destination at, at, as a result of observing and experiencing those things in our fathers. And even if we drift away, I mean speaking as someone who, who is, has been tempted to drift away several times because I have a father who is very busy with the Lord's business, we cannot underestimate the, the ability of the Holy Spirit to do what our fathers can't and to draw us back to where we need to be.
1: We did say that we are not converting but it goes a long way if you raise them according to the principles in the Bible. And I don't know, like I hear people are so busy, but we live in Toronto. We have a long commute to church. At one time, there was another minister and myself in English only. And many of the things had to be done. I don't know why, how much more busy you can be. You know, I used to go directly from work to church on Thursday. When it comes to business, people are busy. But uh, I think they realized that it was important to us.
0: And, and I recognize I stand on my own feet in terms of God. And, and I have many feelings that I can't blame on my father. They're mine alone.
1: Now, someone had a hand up there first their, before Alan. Is uh, there somebody there? Well, Alan. Alan I just wanted
7: to add a comment. I, I really enjoyed the talk. Um, I, 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 as some of you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. raised in the Nine months before I was engaged after I was baptized and not having any background at all in our church and definitely not having a, a role model for my father my father was a functional alcoholic he was physically abusive to our family uh, you know I don't want to go any further than that but uh, so certainly I didn't have that um, but you know within a year or so I was married and then I had children um, fortunately I married someone who' was older than Daughter of a minister, that helped, (laughs) you know. And I, I, for me, I, and I'm sharing this. I, I looked to my father-in-law as the role model, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I observed him. And I I believe, in my case, it wasn't because I was an intellectual or anything like that. It's because I had a hunger, and I really trusted that God would give me the wisdom how to raise my family. And He showed me. Mm-hmm. And to do that I need to mm-hmm. honor my father in law as well and, and look at his walk and mm-hmm. to observe how he raised his children. You know, and of course I am not perfect. Mm-hmm. And there are things that I wish I would have done more like he did with his children. Mm-hmm. But what I want to say from this is that
4: there is hope. Yes.
7: You oh. know, like your presentation is perfect. Like if, if I could meet all those all those requirements there, you know, I, maybe I could walk out of here feeling just great. Them. <laughs> you know. But I, I know I don't, right? I know I don't. But yet I look back and look back and go through and I say, Well, by the grace of God I am where I am today. I've got things to work on, but, but God can work on all our
1: lives. That's definitely. right. So true. I mean when you are right in the middle, you don't even think about these things. Mm-hmm. You just you know, parenting somebody once said is is something everybody expects you to be perfect out at without previous experience. Okay. They do that. But, you know, for those that come from different backgrounds and so from dysfunctional situations, the Bible says, where sin did abound, grace did more abound. This sufficient grace that if we submit to the word of God at any stage to to let God do the healing, if we are willing to humble ourselves and do our part. <coughs> Sorry, how about there in the back? I want
8: to address Chris's question, too. I I was raised with a great father that kind of did. I know, he's big into hunting, so when, I, when we were old enough to go hunting, he took us along. <clears> <throat> but then there were other things I noticed that he didn't pick up until we kind of took interest in things, and then he wasn't afraid to go out on a limb and try something he'd never done. Uh, you know, we took up golf, my younger brother and I, at a, at a young age. He'd never golfed before, but he wasn't afraid to try it. You know, skiing we did later in like our early teen years. He'd never done it before, but he was willing to try some things that you know he kind of took on as we were interested in things. And, and I, maybe, maybe as an optimist, I'm thinking some of those things if you've got a teenager that's you know, kind of going wayward and trying to get them back. It's probably never too late to try that list of things of showing affection and, and uh, you know, having fun and getting involved in your kid's life. Even if, you know, even if those early years you know, didn't mm-hmm. turn out the way that you thought as a teenager now, I don't think it's ever too late to still show the affection, to still have fun, to still get involved instead of just saying, you know, they're kind of lost now and they're going to kind of go their own way and I'm going to let them just, you know, end up where we are going to go. That's not
1: help, Chris. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, there was a hand there in the back of the frame. Uh the,
5: the hardest thing I've done in my life is to ask my son to leave my home. Uh, that's a difficult thing for a father to do. Uh, but in, to answer your question, Chris, when the son disrespects the father, he disrespects God as well. And uh, there's a time when you have to draw the line. And that is a moment of tough love, a very difficult moment of a tough love. And so you try to make the arrangements for your son to be secure uh, wherever he might go, outside your home. And if that's the way it has to be, it has to be. And unfortunately, uh, that's what had to be in my life. That's the experience I had to have. I am thankful that my son and I have a good relationship today.
1: Uh, But at that moment, very rocky road. Very Let road. them know that there is a way back. Yeah, that's Let them exactly know that we right. can come back. Yeah. Come
3: Never back. write them off.
1: The prodigal of son. As long as he's here, there's hope. Now there was a. Who Sorry. Okay.
9: I just have comments about, and I'm sure my dad can also um, affirm this. But one thing that's really worked for us is a to have an open line of communication always. Um, and another big thing, and building on again what Rob said, like placing some responsibility on the son um, in our little church in Kitchener we co-labor together and uh, and as a father and son we work together in, in a very small church and take on responsibilities and help each other a lot of times you'll find my dad doing a sermon and then I'll do the closing prayer pick to pick a song pick two songs whatever just to finish the service and and I find that um, you know that that the, the fact that he has you know um, confidence and that he he places some sort of responsibility on me, has really helped me develop into into taking on these these responsibilities of a man, and and I think that um, that fathers need to realize that, yeah. I mean, as much as they are they are you know um, very much in, in responsibility for uh, mm. everything, they need to place some responsibility on the son to help him develop. That relates
1: to the calling out calling out the purpose. They came accountable, they responsibilities. Brother Costa?
4: I think a lot, lot has to do between the father and the son, even the mother or the wife, the nature.
1: Personality, you mean?
4: Personality, okay, the nature. In my family, I have some children, I don't remember they need to be spent. Mm-hmm. With those kids, you're going to get easier, the father and the son, closer. And those which has a different nature, inherit from maybe my great-grandfather or somebody Mm -hmm. else. (laughs) 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 Uh, It would be harder to uh, come closer, the same as two believers Mm-hmm. are not having the, spirit, uh, the same <coughs> spirituality. Mm-hmm. They cannot get alone, okay? And this is the same between the father and the son. And other sons, doesn't matter what you try, what you do, you mm-hmm. raise this one mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. almost to say spanking, yeah. and this one he locked, yeah. and still didn't help. <laughs> 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 and then came to that end, you have to give up when they get in 14, 15, 16, when you can do nothing. I remember one of our boys, him and his friend, they were a big talker in church. And people complained about to me and I said, you know what brothers, I don't know anymore what to do. I tried even the last thing I said to them, I know you're gonna forget yourself with your friend and you're gonna talk, but when you hear me making (laughs) <laughs> and it means this is for you. Please stop. That didn't help either. So I said to those brothers who came and told me about it, I said, mm-hmm. you know what? I would be so happy if you would go and talk to them. That would be really help more than me as a father.
1: Mm-hmm. Another thing,
4: what was said, you know, teach your child, you know, God's way, so he doesn't depart it. So mm-hmm. the father taught about his children he would read the bible every day or every evening whatever he had a chance the more he was reading to them the more they hated. and as soon as they noticed the father going to go get the bible they disappeared out of the door (coughs) so father thought hey i'm doing a good thing what's happening here so i would say we can overdo it one way Mm -hmm. and neglect it the other way the father in our church son was sitting beside him and the son has no interest in a sermon or to hear anything. He puts his head down, he wants to sleep and the father always touched him and wants to kind of disturb him his sleep. The son would grab his hand right there and try even to break his finger, you know, he was so <laughs> tough on it. Well, I saw that so many times, so I approached the father I said, you know what? You see how you make angry your son." You're trying to do better, but you have to make them angry. And the Bible says we should not
1: walk our
4: children to anger. Mm-hmm. So I, but he said, I want him to listen. I said, you know what? The less he wants to hear it, the more he will. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want it. And then he goes against him. He, want, he will hear it. Yeah. I said, you would be better off to stop and not doing this. And then you're going to get closer. Well, the son... Likes to come and sit beside his father, but the father stops to do his big thing, and the son doesn't sleep anymore, or
1: doesn't put his head down. And answer this, yes. or try to <laughs> answer several of his things. Yes, they can be so different in the same family. Eric and Philip are so different. In my family, they are so different. Now, <clears throat> if we have great difficulties with one in particular, maybe it's for our perfecting.